thank you so much, Pastor Dave, for the introduction. It's always an honor to be introduced by you. Um, yeah, and it's also just always an honor to be back at the pulpit here at church. I don't always get to do this, you know, every week. I do this about maybe three or four times a year. So it's really special to have, you know, an opportunity to speak to you guys again. So as always at Renew, we like to kind of mingle a little bit before we jump into the Word to kind of get that energy out and greet each other, maybe meet somebody new. So we have a question for you guys to discuss with a neighbor or small groups of two or three. And the question today is, have you ever not been invited to a wedding or an event that you thought <laughs> you were going to? And I know some of you have some fun stories, so uh, why don't you group off into two and threes, and then I'll bring it back in a few minutes. So go ahead and answer that question. Maybe meet somebody new. All right, everybody. Why don't we bring it back? I hope you had some really good conversations and uh, maybe some really awkward conversations, too. But yeah, we all know this feeling of that disappointment of, I thought I was going to be there, but I wasn't, and I wasn't invited. It's just not a good feeling, very unsettling. Uh, the title of my message today is, Are You Ready? Because today we're going to be talking about readiness, you know, how to prepare yourself for this big event that we've been talking about these past few weeks, which is the second coming of Christ. And what an amazing day that would be for so many of us as a church. So I'm in an age where a ton of people I know are getting married. I'm not going to disclose how old I am or like why this is the case, but when you hit young adulthood, you start to see people pair off like crazy. And it's really fun, you know, seeing people meet somebody, whether it's like online dating or just, you know, childhood friends, and then they start getting married. And for me, it's, it's mind-blowing because some of these individuals are so young, and it's like watching your own kids get married to each other which is such a strange feeling, but it brings so much joy to my heart at the same time. Um, but um, yeah, it's like you know, being a dad, I guess, is a little preview. Um, but just a show, a show of hands, how many people here today are married or are engaged to be married? Come on, show up, let's see those hands. Yes, yeah, give them an applause. Yeah. So congratulations to all you guys for you know, jumping into that really challenging season, but also a very rewarding season. So I love going to weddings. And I think over the past few years, I've been to maybe like six, maybe even seven weddings. And the crazy thing is they require so much work these days. Maybe they always have, but if you've planned one before or seen somebody plan one, they take so much effort, you know, time, money. I think my last friend's wedding uh, cost like you know, $30,000. I'm like, where are you getting that kind of money? Um, but it requires so much work. You've got to choose the color scheme of your wedding, the venue, what you're going to wear, and my personal favorite, you know, what you're going to eat. Like, what kind of food are you going to serve there, right? So this day that's supposed to be all about honoring this couple as a married couple becomes about serving the guests, which is so interesting to me which is why I love being a guest. You know, I get to go, and being invited is such a wonderful feeling. It's so affirming. It's like, I am truly your friend. I truly am important to you, and I'm worthy to eat the food that you chose for your wedding. <laughs> and I'm worthy to, to hear you exchange your vows. But my favorite part is this, especially at Christian weddings, 
you get to see two people who you know, didn't know each other that long necessarily, and they get to pair off and, and become one flesh. You know? And you get to see this unfolding right in front of your eyes. And by God's design, marriage is an embodiment of the gospel, the good news. It takes forgiveness, you know, grace, and lots of love for two fallen people to come together and you know, become one. And that is just a miracle unfolding in front of my eyes, and I love that. That's the best part for me. But now I want you guys to switch your mindset a little bit to the more negative side of things. So it's fun when you get invited. It's, it's really nice. But what about this question that I asked earlier? What about those times where you thought you were going to be invited, but you weren't? Isn't that the worst feeling? Don't you just feel so rejected, and your whole life is a total lie? You know, um, I don't know. That's how I feel sometimes. So if you guys are engaged, please invite me. I'm just, <laughs> I want to be there. I want to eat. So, <laughs> but yeah, so you, you think about not getting this invite, right? And you go like, this is so weird because I was, I thought I was a significant person in this, you know, this sister or brother's life. I thought that I influenced you. I was there for you. And this is how you pay me back by not inviting me to your wedding. It just feels so bitter and toxic. And even worse, when the photos come out, which happens all the time these days with Instagram and Facebook, and you should post your photos, by the way, they're professionally done, you start going down the line and seeing who was there at the wedding. <laughs> and you start judging each of them individually, like, oh no, she was not a friend like, at all. What's she doing there? She doesn't deserve to be there. Or like, oh, he had a falling out with him you know, a couple years back. She doesn't deserve to be there. And we go down this you know, really dark path of feeling left out and feeling rejected. But ultimately, you know, life goes on. Uh, you get used to it. Uh, you, you move on to the next wedding. You kind of start to forget about it. So why am I prefacing this parable that we're going to talk about with this, all this wedding talk? And the reason why is because Jesus tells a parable about this great wedding feast which for a lot of us, especially the young adults um, and those that are married, is very familiar and near and dear to our hearts. This idea of a wedding is something we get so excited about, but it's also something that has the potential to be disappointing if you're not a part of that wedding. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25 today. If you have your Bibles uh, or your phones, please open up to that chapter, and we'll be reading 13 verses, which is a really short parable with a similar theme as the one that we've been going through these past couple of weeks. So please turn there with me. It'll also be up on the screen if you want to follow along. Oh, this is a photo of me at my best friend's wedding. And that's also what I look like without glasses, so that's kind of... <laughs> not, not bad, right? Yeah, okay. Oh, and this is what happens when you don't get an invitation. You make these excuses for yourself as to why you're not. All right. All right, let's jump into the word here together. Jesus is talking here. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. 
Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy oil for yourselves. And while they were out going to buy their oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. What a passage. What a short but packed parable that we have. So as you can see, it's about a wedding. There's a wedding going on. We've got virgins. And virgins, by the way, uh, some of your Bibles might say bridesmaids. It's essentially the same thing. They were called virgins because they're usually very young women who are unmarried, maybe around 11 or 12 years old, very, very young. So that's to clear up that kind of confusion there. They're bridesmaids that are part of the wedding party for the bride and the groom. So last week, Wilson was talking about um, chapter 24, the end of it. And just a really quick recap. We've been talking about the second coming of Christ. And Jesus uses many analogies to describe this momentous event, right? He talks about Noah and how Noah, when the flood came, people didn't know about it. So something that we know for sure is that the second coming of Christ is unexpected. You know, it comes at a time that we don't know. Even Jesus himself says that, I don't know what it is, but only the Father knows. Just like the flood that swept people away in Noah's time. They were just kind of doing their daily routine, not really paying attention to what's going on around them, and all of a sudden, boom, the flood comes. And there's one man left, and there's one man swept away. It's that sudden. He also talks about it being like a thief in the night. And how you can be a good thief, which is not something you should take home with you, but thieves should be very cunning, right? They should be planning out a specific time where they can enter your home so they don't get caught. The whole point is to get the jump on somebody and come in at a time that is unexpected, right? And that's the same case here, except he, he illustrates it as a wedding this time around. But it's still about his second coming and how unexpected that event is. So because we're talking about weddings and we have such a good idea of how weddings are like in our context, we have to talk about what it was like back then. A couple thousand years have passed, so things are very, very different, right? Weddings looked very different back in the day um, of, the, of Jesus' time. So how weddings were done back then were, um, they started off with engagement, and they called it betrothal. That's kind of the fancy word that they used back then. And that's something we have today, you know, you get down on one knee, you propose. But how this began back uh, in Jesus' time was actually with a marriage contract, because a lot of the couples were arranged marriages. You know, they might have not even known each other before they tied the knot. So the parents of the bride and the groom actually had to sign a paper handing their child over to the other family. And I think that's kind of a good idea today. I would love to see that still. Um, but So we signed that contract, and there's also a bride price. The groom's family had to give the bride's family some sort of a gift. So it could be money, it could be livestock or personal belongings, or if there were tradespeople, it could be services, you know, carpentry, you name it. It could be a number of things. 
So that's the first step, the marriage contract. The second one is the preparation of the bridal chamber. And what this is, is a room in the groom's family's house where they will consummate their marriage once they're officially you know, married to one another. And the crazy thing about this bridal chamber is that it takes a long time to prepare. It takes upwards of a year to prepare this one room just so they can move in together. And, you know, and that's the, kind of the equivalent of us searching for an apartment or maybe a house together after you get married. But when I clean my room, it takes like maybe a day, maybe two. So I can imagine a year is like either you have really a huge mess or they just take it that seriously. And I think it's more the latter. You know, getting married is a big deal for them. So that's how much commitment they have to preparing this room for their bride. So the groom has a lot of work cut out for him once he, he gets engaged uh, to somebody. And my favorite part is the next step. And that has special meaning to our parable today. The next step is the groom has to essentially steal the bride away. So that means he comes at a random time of his choosing for the bride to be taken and claimed by his groom. And I think that's super romantic, by the way, but I don't suggest that because it could result, you know, criminal charges, you know, arrests, that's, that's a thing. Um, but it's so cool to be like, oh, you know, the bride's sitting there in her house eagerly awaiting the groom, but I don't know when he's going to come. And then when he does, you just get kind of swept off your feet and taken away. And the finale is what we know as a wedding, where we have a feast, we have a celebration, a ceremony of their marriage, and everything was longer back then. So you got the bridal chamber taking a year, but the celebration lasts a week back then. So I don't know about you guys, but when I go to a wedding, at the end of the night, I'm completely, I feel like death. I feel like just, let's go home and sleep and you know, flop in my bed and, and knock out. And I don't even drink, by the way, so it's like even worse. But like, back then it lasted a week. That's how significant weddings were back then. They would just rejoice with one another, fellowship, eat together. There's so much going on. So now that we have a, a, some background on what weddings were like during Jesus' time when he speaks of this parable, let's jump back into the text and look at these bridesmaids or these virgins. Jesus very early on makes a distinction between the two. Five of them are wise, you know, prudent, and five of them are foolish. And the reason for that is in verse 3, is because five of them decide to take oil and the other five decide not to. That's the main difference between the two. But they're all bridesmaids. So the question is, what do the bridesmaids represent in this parable? You know, parables are about analogies and metaphors. And what they represent, just right off the bat, is the church, okay? He's telling this parable in a time that's in between his first coming, where he came, died on the cross, and resurrected, and his second coming, where unless I miss something, hasn't happened yet, right? We're in between. So this is a representation of the church, these 10 bridesmaids. So that means that they're not you know, just random people. They're not you know, pagans or like, you know, devil worshipers, um, you know, people who don't know Christ. These are people who actively identify with the church. So I'm sure you can see that this has special meaning to us today since we're gathered here on Sunday as a church, right? Jesus is speaking to us here, God's people. And we know this because they're holding lamps. They're holding lamps for the, for the purpose of lighting the way for the bridegroom and meeting him when he arrives. 
You know, we don't give tasks to people that we don't know. When I was at my friend's wedding as a groomsman, I had a very specific responsibility. Um, I wasn't a stranger. I was somebody who cared about the couple that were getting married. You know, I was people that, I, that knew them, that walked with them for a long time. We were not random people in the wedding party. And yeah, they had this specific responsibility, holding these lamps, signifying outwardly, hey, we're part of the church. Um, we know you. We know about the bridegroom. We know about the bride. And we know what we have to do in order to prepare the way for his arrival. There are people that have been exposed to the gospel. You know, they're excited about this event. They can't wait to see the bridegroom show up. And, um, and that's kind of what this is all leading up to, right? That's the climax of our story. So keep that in your mind. This is something that is involving professing Christians, not just anybody. And what are some things that we look for outwardly uh, to identify whether we're Christian or not, right? Prayer, are we being discipled, baptism, going to church on Sunday. We have a whole list of ways that we show that we are faithful people. So in verse 5, it says that the bridegroom was delayed. So all of the bridesmaids became drowsy and they fell asleep, right? Something I want to clear up is that they didn't fall asleep, or the reason why they missed the bridegroom was not because they fell asleep. And we know that because the wise bridesmaids also fell asleep. So that's not anything that's of note. But the, de the delay is of note. You know? It says that the bridegroom was delayed. And I see this as a clue that Jesus' coming might actually take a bit longer than a lot of us expect. I've had some personal experience, a lot of personal experiences in this idea of delaying, and one of them comes from my childhood. It was my ninth birthday, I believe, and this is in the 90s, so things were very different back then. And my dad had given me a birthday present, but he said, you know, it's shipping. It has to ship from somewhere far away, so, um, you know, you have to be patient with it. And I don't know if you guys feel this way, when you order packages, we love just checking the tracking over and over again, right? And we have the technology now. It's like, oh, it's here. It's in Irvine. It's in Fullerton. It's you know all these different places until that day finally comes. The tracking for Jesus looks kind of like this, okay? <laughs> delivery day unknown. And the next update, delivery day unknown. We don't know when it is. So it's kind of different, right, than our package. So I was waiting for this package to arrive for my birthday. You know, a day passed, you know, asking my dad, is it here yet? Not here yet. A week passes. Dad, is it here yet? It's not here yet. And over time, reflecting on us, I noticed that our behavior changes so much when a delay happens. I started not being excited about it anymore. I started not remembering why I even wanted this thing that I got, right? And here, when it says that the bridegroom delayed, it means that Jesus' second coming might look a lot like this, where we're eagerly waiting at the beginning when we first hear this good news. And then when time passes by, you know, it's just like, whatever. It's not going to happen tomorrow, right? And our mindset totally changes. And the hardest part is that Jesus doesn't have tracking. You know, we don't know when that day is going to come, when that package gets delivered. So the only solution is to be ready all the time, is to be anticipating Jesus all the time. That's what he's telling us to do in this parable. And you know, eventually I did get my gift. I don't remember what it was, but it was like two months later, no tracking. Can you imagine? It was just like, I don't even know where it came from. But, um, but yeah, so 
Um, our, our mindset changes when we wait for something and it's delayed. Moving on with the story, the bridegroom finally arrived. And there's this huge announcement. So they're sleeping, right? And then they wake up because he's finally here. They hear it. And the first thing that they do is they trim their lamps. And that's in uh, verse 6, I believe. Sorry, verse 7. Then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. And uh, I don't know what lamp trimming is. I just realized that when I was studying this passage. But as a seminary student, I have all these resources. I, I spend hundreds of dollars every quarter on books that I read like maybe a third of. And I'm like, this got, has to be somewhere uh, in these books that I'm buying, right? Lamp trimming. It's in there. So I dug around, and I finally managed to find out what lamp trimming was. And here's the result. Um, <laughs> good website. Good website. Um, so we're not going to read the whole thing, but basically what it says is, you know, um, in the days where light came from burning lamps, let's see. Yeah, so it's like a navel thing. Oh, yeah, in the second paragraph it says, the skilled part of being a lamp trimmer was the ability to trim a wick in such a way that would burn evenly. So this is significant to preparing your lamp, right? The shape has to be right so that your, your light will burn for a long time and that it would burn brightly. But here's something that I want you guys to see. All 10 bridesmaids are trimming their lamps, but five of them don't even have oil. It's like a light bulb without electricity or you know, a flashlight without batteries, and you're like trying to fix it, but it's never going to turn on, right? And that's completely, it doesn't make any sense to be trimming your lamp but not having the oil to even light it later on, right? Something very wrong with that picture. And what that looks like is this idea of we're so used to the work aspect of our faith. We're so used to doing, especially those of us that grew up in church and have been doing this our whole lives. You know, reflexively, we just, oh yeah, let's pray before our meal. Or let's go to church on Sunday. Or let's, get, let's go to my friend's baptism. And you know, it's just another one that's getting baptized. Um, but sometimes the heart is lacking, the oil is lacking. Outwardly it looks good, but is it motivated by the fuel, the oil? Is that motivating that light, right? Or are we just doing these things out of habit, where it's like, I know what a good Christian looks like, so let's just do that. And this is what's going on here. These bridesmaids, they know how to do church. You know, they, they know how to make it look like they're the real thing but we'll find out that they're not. You know, there's so many people in my life that I've been praying for for so long that I wish, you know, I could save them. Um, I wish I could share oil with them. And we see right after this that they're panicking. They're like, we don't have oil. They just, they realize that. And naturally, they ask the people next to them, hey, you guys have oil. Can you give me some? Because I don't have enough um, to light this way because it's nighttime and I need that light. And the wise bridesmaids don't refuse out of selfishness, but um, Jesus is teaching us here that we cannot give oil to one another. Um, and this goes back to the idea of wanting to save people. Like our lists are long of people that we want to come to know Christ. And we can give grace, we can give love, but we cannot give that relationship that we can only get from God, who's the only one that can provide oil. 
So he's telling us that this idea of sharing faith with one another, which is what the oil represents, you know, genuine faith, a genuine indwelling of the Holy Spirit, a genuine relationship with God, all those things are something that we have to choose on our own. We can support each other, we can encourage one another, but we can't simply just give it and save somebody else. You know, that's God's design. And Jesus is telling us the impossibility of that right here. Looking at this specific part of the passage, I realize it's something that our generation totally needs to hear. Uh, we have so many people that we put on pedestals, right? We love these worship groups. Uh, we love these pastors and these speakers that we hear on the radio and on YouTube. And this happened to me, too. For the longest time, I would get my fix, my quick refill, by just typing in a name on YouTube and listening to their sermon. But at the end of the day, that has so much limitation to what it can do for your faith because you're not fully accessing Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. You're not sitting alone with this book and getting filled with the words of God. You're doing it through somebody else. But that process isn't actually giving you oil. It's just a temporary fix. It's not long-lasting. What happens next is probably the most terrifying part of the passage. So they're told to go buy oil, right? Um, right after this, and they go, they leave. But that's when the bridegroom decides to come. Very poor timing for the foolish uh, bridesmaids. And they don't miss it because, you know, they didn't have lambs. Everybody had lambs. They missed the bridegroom because they were unprepared. They did not have oil when they were supposed to have it. And this is the major lesson from this parable, that there is this moment where you might be too late, you know? The door might be closed, and that's exactly what happens. They come back, they knock on the door, and Jesus, the bridegroom claims, I never knew you. You know, you did all these things, but we never actually had a real relationship. The last verse of this parable says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So because it's going to come at a time we don't expect, be vigilant, be watchful. And I'm not talking about not sleeping. Please sleep. But like, what you should do is be spiritually awake. Always be looking around you and seeing what God is leading you to next. You know, Don't get caught up in the rhythms of doing church and serving just for the sake of serving. Let it always be motivated and spoken into by God's word and what the Spirit is leading you to do. That was the mistake of the foolish bridesmaids because they weren't ready when that day finally came. And that day totally will come. You know, as I was studying this passage, um, I was really convicted because, not only because it's scary, this idea of knocking on the door and Jesus rejecting you, but because we can be really good at acting. And I don't know, once I say that word, I know some of you guys know where I'm going with this, but there was a time in my life, believe it or not, where I tried to pursue an acting career, okay? And that's like, that's pretty radical, and I'm like pretty introverted, so it, it, was, a, it was a great endeavor for me. And um, I, I moved to Hong Kong for a few months, hoping to make it there. 
Didn't work out, so I came back. But one day I got this call, okay? And this call was the opportunity of a lifetime because my agent told me that there was a casting call for Disney's live action Mulan for the lead male role. That's coming out next year, I think, as a trailer. But um, I'm not in it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think pastorship is just for me to cope with my feelings of disappointment. But <laughs> um, So I get this call, and it's like, oh, like, do you want to do this? This is for the male lead role, okay? And I'm like, yeah, sign me up. So I drove to NorCal from SoCal that same day just to go to this audition. And, you know, I send my resume, I send my photo, my headshot. And then I walk into the room, it's finally my turn. And then the casting director sees my face, and I look like this when I walk in. I love this photo, by the way. I'm never going to change my profile picture. It's always going to be this. Um, I walk in looking like this. I'm really happy, I'm really excited, I'm smiling. And then the casting director says to me, you're not going to get this role before I even audition. And then I'm like, you know, why, why not? And then she says, because you look like too much of a nice guy. And I'm like, for a second, that's actually pretty amazing. This is probably the best thing anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> Um, thank, I'm like, thank you, thank you, that's super nice. And then I realized, like, wait, I'm supposed to try, I'm trying to get this role here. This is the worst thing I could ever hear from the casting director before I even audition. And the reason why she said that is because the photo that I sent her of what I look like was this, okay? <laughs> and this... <laughs> Yeah, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll only have that up for a few seconds longer. But the so the male role for this for Mulan was supposed to be for a bully, somebody who was you know aggressive. I like to pick on people. Uh, for Mulan, that's kind of how that story goes. And she must have seen this and been like, oh, he would be great for that because he looks like he's always angry. It looks like he's always upset at something. But then I walk in and I'm my actual self. And I realized that I'm not a bully, you know? Like, I could have tried really hard to step in those shoes, but that wasn't who I was at my core. Okay, I'll spare you guys that. Um, but, you know, even though I found out I wasn't good at acting in that context, I did find a place where I'm really good at acting. And that's church. Like, church totally aligns with what my personality is naturally like. You know, be nice to people, um, be disciplined with, you know, talking to others and supporting them. I could do all those things no problem. And that was the part where I had a breakthrough. I lived in New York for a little bit for grad school, and the church I went to out there, I was the only Asian because it was a small town, mostly older Caucasian individuals. But one day the pastor told me to step up to stage and share about my testimony. And I did, and then people were like clapping and you know, just getting all riled up and excited for me, and, and they were so inspired by my story, and it felt so good, because it was lonely out there for a while, and I finally got this affirmation, this support from people. You know, I felt included, and that was like a drug to me. Like, it was so easy to put on this Christian self, so easy for me to do that, and people would be so convinced that I was the real deal. But when I would walk away from the church and go home for the evening, 
man, all I was doing was just enjoying that pride, enjoying that feeling of being loved in the church, and they think I'm so great, and there were still so many things that I didn't take care of yet, that I needed to be right with God with, that I was still going, I was still wrestling with that we're not clean. So that made me realize that, wow, it's really easy to, to fool other people, and even worse, fool yourself into thinking that my lamp lights up, you know, that it actually has oil, and that I have enough for the entire journey. I realized that I didn't. And it's kind of that huge wake-up call. It's like, wait a second, I might be doing all these things without Jesus as part of the picture, you know. And that's what this passage reminded me of. I mean, I've come a long way, but there's still so much work that has to be done. You know, um, as we kind of finish up this passage, uh, I want you guys to think about what Jesus is warning us about here. He's telling us that there's going to be a moment where that door is closed. And there is such a thing as too late. But the encouraging part of this passage is that today, that door is still wide open. You know, we plan these weddings. We have to trim down our guest list because we don't have the resources. But God's wedding feast looks entirely different because his invitation is unlimited. You know, it's open to everybody, literally everybody, whether you're in this room or not. He's inviting you all to join this wedding feast. How are you going to respond to that idea? Are you excited about that wedding feast? Is that something that you want to be a part of? Or are you somebody who has a lamp and knows how to use it, but doesn't have enough oil for that day for the bridegroom to come? Remember in the beginning when I asked if you were married or engaged to be married? I was expecting way more hands to go up. And it's kind of a trick question, so I kind of fooled you guys. But the reason why so many of us should have raised our hands is because if you're holding a lamp, it means that you're engaged. It means that you are part of the church and that Jesus is the bridegroom that you're waiting for. And yeah, this is in a heavenly sense, not an earthly sense. But when you're engaged to somebody, your life should look a lot different, right? You should be focusing on what your responsibilities are when that day finally comes for Jesus to come back and claim his bride, which is the church. You should really be focusing on weeding out those things that might prevent you from caring about this day, but also be fervent in your efforts and your prayer so that every day is like the day that he might come back. You know? So you have to be ready, but you also have to be steady with your faith. I wasn't going to say this, actually, for today's message, but um, this actually might be one of the last times I get to speak at Renew. This might be news to some of you guys. I'm really bad at saying these goodbyes, um, but you know, I have practical reasons for that, but the biggest reason why I, I decided to move on is because I wanted to be ready, and being ready to me looks like leaning into the Spirit and and thinking about where does God actually want me, you know, day by day. And sometimes, and a lot of the times actually, it's not what you want. You know, I'm very, you know, cared for here. I feel very loved whenever I come every week. And I don't want to say goodbye to that, of course. But if God's calling you somewhere else, you just have to go, you know. 
Um, it requires great sacrifice. That's what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. But most importantly, that's what it looks like to be ready, is to have this genuine relationship with God and be so in tune with him that you know what the next step is, even if you're not comfortable with it. So I leave you with that. If this is new information for you. If you haven't got a chance to accept Christ, I want you to seriously think about this parable. Seriously think about this reality that Jesus has come once and he's coming back again. And we don't know that day. It could be today, it could be this afternoon, or it could be, you know, after we're already called home. But how are you going to respond to that? If you're somebody who feels like, man, maybe I've been doing all this stuff just for show. You know, maybe I, I have a really nice-looking lamp, but it doesn't actually light up. You know, and, and nobody knows that except me and God. Then I encourage you to continue asking God for oil. Not other people, not other um, you know, famous individuals, just you and God. He will provide that oil for you if you ask him, but it has to be to him. And if you're in a good place today, my encouragement to you is to keep going steady. Treat every day like today is the, is, is the wedding. It's time for the wedding feast. And that'll change your entire mindset of how you prepare yourself for Jesus' second coming. Uh, later on, we'll have people on the side, uh, elders in our church, to pray for you if there's something tugging at your heart or um, if you want to accept Christ. Uh, but why don't you bow your heads with me right now, uh, and we'll spend a little bit of time in prayer um, over this, this parable and, and how, how important it is for us to be ready for Jesus' second coming. So I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, being such a generous God. We thank you that we have this wedding feast that we're so, so excited about. But at the same time, it's scary to know that you know, maybe some of us don't have that oil to last the whole journey. Or maybe the journey's been so difficult that we forget to fill our, our lamps with more oil. I pray for those brothers and sisters, Lord that you would fill up um, their lamp with so much oil that they just have so many days of their life that are just excited about this, the second coming, excited about waking up to you every day, um, genuinely excited, Lord. But God, we know it's difficult to, to go on, to light the way. We, we come through so many challenges, and we just pray for encouragement, for just continued sustenance, physically, spiritually, emotionally mentally, all those things. We need you that badly. We're 100%. It just has to be you. We don't want to have anything to do with our old selves. May we not pretend to be a church that looks good on the outside, but may that just be a, an outcome of how much work we're putting into the inside, God. So we thank you for this parable. We thank you for this warning and that we have time to prepare today for, for your return. And may we be excited for that. In Jesus' name we pray.